Hey, I want to thank the music uh, praise team. Uh, you guys are doing a great job. You know, Kelvin, the leader, is gone. He's in the Philippines visiting with his family, but uh, uh, Angela has has taken on the leadership and and coordinating everything. But I just appreciate you guys doing that. I just I often stand here and sing, and I think of how the Lord. It must please the Lord. I mean, we don't always we're not always perfect, right? We don't always hit the right note. It's not pitch perfect, but I know it's beautiful to the Lord that His people from all over the world in this little bitty building, this, this used to be a garage, in this old garage singing praises to Jehovah God. I know it pleases Him. So, thank you guys. Thank you for, the, for blessing us with your gifts. It's a great joy to me. Uh, yeah, when we first started, I used to lead the singing. And trust me, um, it's a great blessing to have these guys leading, <laughs> leading the singing. But you know, the Lord is pleased. If His people come, to, they gather together and they worship, He's pleased. It's beautiful to Him. So, I love it. On an average Sunday, there were 20 people in attendance. That's more than we had when we first started. Uh, the church had $10 in its bank account. They met in a shabby two-story building in a bad part of town. The pianists only knew one course, and they sang it every week, sometimes multiple times in the same Sunday. The young pastor of the church writes this. He said, the embarrassing truth is that sometimes I didn't want to go. It was so sad in one sense. It was so pathetic. That's how bad it was. He said, I didn't even want to go. One Sunday, he, he got up to preach and he was so depressed he couldn't preach and he choked up and his, his eyes filled up with tears. And he called his people to gather around him, all 20 of them. And he writes this, he says, I knew we couldn't organize or market or program or finesse our way out of this. New ideas about church growth were irrelevant. We needed God to come down. Which is what we always need at the International Church of Milan. Listen, beloved, if I didn't think God was going to be here and God was going to keep His promises, I would still be in Little Rock, Arkansas. I would not be here. But because our God is a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God, that's the only reason I stand in front of you. That's the only reason this church exists. It's because He's a faithful God. Listen, that preacher took him to 2 Chronicles 7.14. Many of you will know this passage where God is speaking to Solomon and He says, If my people who, call, who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. My eyes shall be open and my ears attentive to their prayer. What a beautiful, beautiful promise from the Word of God. The young pastor told his flock that henceforth, Prayer would be the engine of that church. Prayer would drive that church. The depth and quality of the prayers, the prayers of the congregation as they cried out to God would drive that church. That was in the early 70s. Today, that young pastor who was so depressed and wanted to quit, he's still the pastor of that church. We have former members of ICM who are in that church. I uh, communicate with them on occasion. Uh, the pastor's name is Jim Simbola. I know that some of you have heard this name. He's written several books. Some of you may have read some of his books. The, the name of the church is, does anyone know? 
the Brooklyn Tabernacle uh, Church in New York. The facility now has a capacity of over 3,000, and they fill it up three times on Sunday. So, from 20 people in 10 bucks to 10,000 on Sunday. This is what God does when His people pray. This is what the Lord does when His people pray. Now, I'm sure Jim and I, Jim Symbol and I wouldn't agree on everything, but we agree on one thing. God's people are meant to cry out to Him in believing prayer. God's people are meant to be a praying people. I like what Simbola says. He says, God is attracted to weakness. Don't you love it? God is attracted to weakness. It's us. <laughs> I say this all the time. It's ICM. You know, really, I've, I've said this to you before. We're a pathetic spectacle in the eyes of the world. Really, there's no reason that we should even be able to exist. You guys are just passing through. You're always passing through. It's like a parade, man. It really is astonishing to me. Karen and I, stay, we just marvel at this. We've been here eight years. We marvel that God's kept this thing running for eight years. But we know He'll keep it running just as long as He wants. He has the, the resources to do that. Simba, let me finish this quote. God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need Him. You don't need to read a book about prayer. This is prayer. You desperately need God. That's prayer. And unless you desperately are aware that you need Him, you know you need Him, you're not going to pray. Unless you're, you're aware that your church desperately needs God to show up and supply you're not going to pray. You have to understand that you desperately need God every single day. Beloved, if we're born-again believers, if we understand our Bibles, we understand we need Him every day. We need the Lord every day. Hey, if you just roll out of bed and you can do it on your own, listen, that's no Christianity at all. That's not New Testament Christianity at all. If you can just roll out of bed and do it on your own. Every time we genuinely enter into the spirit of prayer, it's simply confessing how desperately we need the Lord. The last few weeks we've been talking about some of the principles that undergird uh, this church, the things that we stand on. The first one was uh, that we would be uncompromising like Daniel. We will do the Word. Even if it's hard, we're going to do the Word. Even if people don't want to hear it, we're going to preach the Word. We're going to be uncompromising about the truth of God's Word. The second thing we looked at was we believe He's Almighty. We believe if we have to step in front of a giant, He's a faithful God. He will show up. We looked at the life of David. We will not be risk-averse at the International Church of Milan. We will do whatever He calls us to do. The thing we looked at last week was that we trust in the Gospel. We trust in the truth of it, but also we trust in the power of it. We don't play games. We don't add to the Bible. We don't take away from the Bible like many, if not most, denominations do these days. We trust God to save His people through His power. We don't do gimmicks. We don't do, uh, I don't try to manipulate people psychologically. We just let God save His people through the power of His Word. We preach it. We teach it. We expect God to do what only God can do. How does faith come? Someone tell me. 
by the Word of God. It's not how cute or clever I can be. It's not how I can psychologically or emotionally manipulate you. Yeah, I can make you a church member, but I can never make you a Christian. I can, I can manipulate you into church membership, but I could never make you a Christian. Only God can make a Christian. We talked a lot about that last week. The fourth principle that undergirds this church is that we desperately need God. And if you're a member of this church and you don't understand that we desperately need God, then you've not really understood how this church exists. We basically walk on water. Because you guys are always passing through. We do have a few long-termers. Praise God for that, right? But this church is walking on water, trusting the Lord. So we cry out to the Lord. He is our confidence. He is our resource. He is our supply. We can't, you know, Karen and I, we can't trust in you because you're going to be gone. We can't trust in the bank account because it's going to be gone. But there is someone we can trust in. There's always a ram in the bush with Jehovah Jireh. There's only one reason a professed Christian does not pray. We talked about it just a minute ago. It's because inexplicably you think you don't need Him. You have been utterly deceived if you think you can do anything apart from the power and will of God. The world has deceived you, beloved. The only reason you're not, if, if, you're, if you call yourself a Christian and you're not praying, it's because you think you don't need Him. But I want to submit to you that you desperately need Him. So we want to talk a little bit about prayer tonight. There's so much I could say here. Prayer and praying is mentioned four to five hundred times in the Bible. I could do 20 sermons on it and still not touch uh, all that needs to be said. But my purpose tonight is not to take an exhaustive look. My purpose tonight is to exhort you to do your job, which is to cry out to God for your church and for your circumstance. God expects His people. We heard it in the text. We're going to see it in the text. Jesus insists that you pray. These are not suggestions. He says, ask, seek, knock. These are not suggestions. These are commands. That the people of God would come before their great God and petition Him for what only He can do. Jesus says, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. To him who knocks it shall be opened. Well, what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he should ask for a fish, will he, not give, will he uh, not give him a snake, will he? If you then being evil, or stingy as one translation says, know how uh, to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? I like what John Eldridge says. He's an American author. I like what he says about these verses. He says, these are outrageous words. They are provocative words. He said, they fall on deaf ears if you don't really desperately want and need something. And beloved, if we're a Christian and we mean to walk with Jesus, we desperately need Him. We need His power. We can't walk the Christian life in our own strength. We're deceived if we think we can. We cannot. 
You cannot go with Jesus in your own strength. You can't. And like I say, if you're just rolling out of bed and you're doing your Christianity on automatic without crying out to God, you're not doing your Christianity right. And I suspect you're not living it very large. Because you will need God. You will need God to walk with Jesus. So let me ask you, beloved, are you hungry for God to come down in great power at the International Church of Milan and at our sister church, Italian church, Veritas? Does that, is that important to you? What's the first thing on the prayer list? Who wants to tell me what's the first thing on the ICM prayer list? That you would pray every day for... Nobody knows that God would come down. That God would come down. Not only at ICM and the international community, but in Milano in general and the Italian church, that God would come down. That there would be a great awakening. That hundreds and thousands of people would, be, would fall under conviction of their sin. And they would run to Jesus. This place we would, you know, I don't know what we'd do. I guess we'd have to move out into the parking lot. Because people would just be pouring in here. Because they need the good news. They finally see the reality of their situation. The wrath of God rests upon them. And there are no religious solutions. There's only one solution. His name is Jesus Christ, Beloved. Are you expecting that? Are you praying for that? That's what we pray for. <laughs> that's what, you know, that's what we're praying for. I hope, you, I hope you'll join us. If you've not been praying that way, I hope you'll join us and pray. Beloved, this is a breathtaking invitation. You know who's saying this, right? Who's saying this? Who's saying, ask, seek, knock? This is just a, a good man, a good moral teacher. This is just a prophet. Who is this saying this? It's God Himself. He's inviting you to pray this way. He's inviting you to pray boldly. He says, come on, ask me. I love this text. I love this text. And when you think about who's saying it, it makes it all the more wonderful. Beloved, the only reason prayer is worthwhile is why? It's because who we're praying to. That's the only reason it's worthwhile. It has no merit in and of itself. The only merit it has is we're crying out to the omnipotent God. Our, let me say it a different way. Our omnipotent Father who hears and who answers. Let me just give you a brief summary. Some of these things we've talked about in the last several months. God is infinitely sovereign and almighty. No one or no thing can stop Him from answering His child's prayer. Amen? If you believe that, you'll pray. The other thing we learn about God is He's infinitely righteous. His answer will always be what? Yes, it will always be right. It'll always be perfect. Even if it's no, it's perfect. We talked about it at YE's uh, Young Adults the other night. Praise God for the no. If He gives you a no, He's protecting you from the yes. Beloved, we've got to learn to think biblically about these things. We've got to learn to think biblically about it. We've got to learn to think biblically about it. The other thing we've learned about God is his, He is good. His answer is always in our best interest. Even if it's no, His answer is always in 
our best interest. God is wise. He sees the beginning from the end. He knows the future. He knows exactly what to, to do in your life. His answer will be flawless in its wisdom, timing, and effect. God is loving. Just look at the cross. He is sold out to His people. Don't ever doubt it. When you come to Him in prayer, the, the answer is not only going to be right and perfect and, and wise, it's going to be a loving answer. Beloved, when you think about who He is, it makes this text in Matthew 7 all the more remarkable. He is no reluctant benefactor. God gives. As one theologian says, He gives and He gives and He gives and He gives. Again, all we have to do is look at the cross. I think I mentioned this quote to you uh, maybe a month or so ago as we talked about the goodness of God, but I just want to quote it again. John Piper says, he says, Our Father's heart is so full of deep and unshakable happiness that we can be sure when we come to Him we will not find Him frustrated, gloomy, irritable. A Father who's out of sorts, who wants to be left alone, but instead a Father whose heart is so full of joy it spills out onto His children. This is the mental picture, the heart picture we need to have as we come in prayer to the Lord. Verse 7 uh, of Matthew 7, the Lord insists. He insists. He repeats it in, uh, in uh, verse 8. Ask, seek, knock. He insists. So let's go through it. No pressure. If we ask, what will happen? If we seek, what will happen? You sound like you're not sure. Are you not sure? If we ask, what will happen? If we seek, what will happen? If we knock, what will happen? That's what God says. It's not me. I'm not saying this stuff. It's God. The asker receives, the seeker finds, the knocker gets an open door. Not only does God insist upon us crying out to Him, He insists on answering. I love Proverbs 15.8. Did you know that your prayers are His delight? Did you know this? Proverbs 15.8. Your prayers are His delight? That's an awesome thought. That is an awesome thought. I love Isaiah 65.24. It will come to pass that before they call, someone tell me, before they call, before my people call to me, what? I will answer. You know, you hear me confess it often as I pray here. The answer was given in eternity past. The answer was given in eternity past, beloved. You know, God's outside of time. Our prayers are before Him in eternity past. I know that's hard to understand, but don't think about it too much. It'll hurt. It's hard to understand. But God says, before my people even speak, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. He told the, listen to what he tells the Old Testament Hebrew, Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. Listen to what he says. You're going to love this. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourself and give me no rest until I establish Jerusalem. Don't you love that? I love that text as a pastor. He's, God says, give me no rest till I establish you. 
Don't you love that? Isn't that a great promise? Isn't that a great promise if you're the pastor of a church that, you know, one Sunday you can have 60 and the next Sunday you have 20 and then, you know, a year from now, everybody's gone? I love this. I love this. I, we stand on the Lord. You know, we stand on the Lord. What an, what an you know, you're, you're like Batman. You know, if you really, you're like a spiritual Batman. I mean, you know, I mean, really. You, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and through a God who hears and answers prayer. He says, give me no rest. Give me no rest. And that's what I want to provoke you to do maybe tonight. Challenge you. Give God no rest in, in, in your life, about your walk with Christ, but also about this church and also about the Great Awakening that the Lord might send to this place. I love this open-ended, unconditional challenge. So, are you praying for this church? And will you pray for this church after you leave? You know, it's one of the encouragements that I get. I get emails from all over the world. The 750 to 1,000 people that have gone before you, you know, they're no longer here. And we stay in contact with many of them. They're praying for us. They're, they're still, they want to get the prayer list. They're praying for you guys. They don't even know who you are. But they've sat in those chairs. You know, God's doing a cool thing. You know, we understand we're not building a church. We're building the church. That's what we do at ICM. In Ezekiel 36, the Lord tells Israel all that He's going to do for them. Now, I want you to listen closely to me. Ezekiel 36, the Lord says, This is what I'll do. I'll restore you. I'll convict you of your sin and I'll cleanse you. I'll remove their, your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. He says, I'll put My Spirit with, within you and cause you to walk in My statutes. He said, I will multiply the fruit of your labor. And He says, I'm going to do all this that you will know I am the Lord. That you will know, I love this, I am the Lord. And that I have built up the ruined places and I have planted the desolate places. This is the essence of ICM's prayer and Veritas' prayer. That God would be seen as building this church. This is why we make a conscious decision not to play games with the Gospel. This is why we don't manipulate. This is why we don't do trendy stuff. Because we want the glory to reside only with God and His Word. This is our prayer. Lord, convict us of our sin and cleanse us. Fill us with Your Spirit. Cause us to walk in Your ways. Multiply the fruit of our labor. Let all those who see know that it is You. It is not us. It is not us. We are weak and feeble and frail. We are impotent. We can't do anything without our God. We, we're happy to confess it. But God is delighted to take the weak thing the foolish thing in the eyes of the world, and do something mighty. Listen to what the Lord says to the Old Testament Hebrew in Ezekiel 36, 36, and 37. He says, I'm going to have you ask Me for all of this. And then He says, I will do it. He says, I will do it. That's our church growth 
plan. That God will do it. And then He says this, I will let the house of Israel ask Me to do it for them that they may know I am the Lord. I love this. God says, I mean to bless My people. I mean to build up My people. I mean to establish My people. I've purposed to do it in eternity past. A billion eternities past, I purposed to do it, but I'll have them ask Me for it. Beloved, we need to understand this. We need to understand this. What God is saying to us here. You know, one of the frequently asked questions I get as a pastor when people start to deal with prayer and the sovereignty of God and they say, well, wait a minute, if God is, is sovereign in all things, why should I pray? <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, yeah. It, you know, sometimes when you think about the Lord and His ways, it can be, it can be mind-blowing. Well, let me just say this. Because prayer is... We talked about it at, at, at young adults. Prayer is... Someone, does anybody remember? In light of God's sovereignty, prayer is what? It is a means... It is God's means through which He works His sovereign purposes, right? So it matters when, if we pray. That matters. Your prayers, as I said earlier, are before God in eternity past. And your prayers are a means to His sovereign end. It's imperative that we pray. Beloved, it's imperative that we do that. God says, I mean to bless My people, but I'll have them ask Me for it that they'll know I'm God and everyone around them will know I'm God. Why has God done? Why has God created for His glory? We've talked about it many, many times. Man is the pinnacle of creation. And prayer is, is, a, perfect, is, is a perfect lesson about the glory of God because His people are supposed to prostrate themselves and cry out to this God. We're to confess our impotence. We're to confess our inability to accomplish any good thing apart from Him. This glorifies the Lord. The true spirit of prayer glorifies the Lord. We acknowledge that we are not able to do this thing apart from His enabling. In true biblical prayer, God is honored. He is honored. And He is glorified. It's an oxymoron. Everybody knows what an oxymoron is, right? Oxymoron. What does it mean? It's a contradictory uh, term. It's an oxymoron. A Christian, um, uh, someone who calls themselves a Christian and, and they do not pray. This would be an oxymoron. A non-praying Christian definitely is an oxymoron. One theologian said it like this, the self-sufficient do not pray, the self-satisfied will not pray, the self-righteous cannot pray. Six times in the Bible, God says, devote yourself to prayer. Let me ask you, beloved, are you devoted to prayer? This is the command of God to His people. Six times. Devote yourself to prayer. I just chose one, Colossians 4.2. Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it, with an attitude of thanksgiving. Now that's prayer. Devote yourself to it. Being alert in it. Watching what God is doing with an attitude of thanksgiving. Most of you know 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says that we are to pray without ceasing. Does that mean we're supposed to pray 24-7? That, that we're just verbally or, or mentally praying 24-7? Is that what that means? No, that's not what that means. 
That's not what that means. But we are in a constant state of... It's our mental default. That's what it means. It's our mental default. Whatever comes to us during the day, we give it to God. Good, bad, or indifferent. Oh Lord, help me here. Oh Lord, encourage me here. Oh Lord, show me the answer here. Oh Lord, give me the strength to do what I need to do right here. Give me the courage I need to do right here. Whatever comes into our day, we pray, we give it to the Lord. It's a, mental, it's a state of mental default. Take today and use it for Your glory, Lord. Every circumstance, every situation. I love that. It's a mental default. Oh, Lord. And this situation, you know, when you, when you think about it right, when you think about it biblically, the situation I'm in, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, it's not about me. We've talked about it a million times. It's not about me. It is about God. It's about what God, how God wants to glorify Himself in this situation through me and how He's going to change me through it. That's what it's always about, beloved. It's not about you. Don't get a pout on when it's hard. It's really not about you. I know you're in the middle of it, but it's really not about you. It is about God and what God wants to do through you in the trial. We've been talking about it in young adult Bible study. John chapter 11. Go study it. It's a beautiful text. I don't have time. I don't have time to get into it. God says that we are to persevere in prayer. Luke 18.1, Jesus says, pray at all times and do not lose heart. I shared this, I think, well, I can't remember now. I'm getting too old to remember what I say to who. But, anyway, one guy says it like this, nothing never happens when you pray. Don't you love that? Don't you love that double negative? You're you kind of like, what? Nothing never happens when you pray. I love that. Nothing never happens when you pray. You know, one of my heroes in, in church history is George Mueller. We have his autobiography on the, on the table there, his abbreviated autobiography. And God used George Mueller uh, to feed, house, clothe, educate, and evangelize 10,000 orphans through faith and prayer alone. He never raised money. He never did fundraising. He, he never asked anybody. He didn't, have, he didn't have a benefactor. He wasn't in doubt. He just prayed to God. And for 63 years, God fed those kids. Some mornings he had 2,000 miles to feed. But for 63 years, God showed up and fed those kids. If you read his various biographies, you will see a couple of phrases about his prayer life. One was, not just praying, but believing prayer. He uses this a lot. Believing prayer. I love this. The other phrase you'll see a lot is, after much prayer and waiting for a long time, God answered. You know, this is one thing I find as a pastor. I talk to many people about prayer. And we're all the same. We're human beings. Sometimes we get discouraged and we stop praying. You know, Mueller built that first house and he felt led of God to build the second house and the third house for the orphans. You know how long he prayed for the second house and the third house? Eleven years. Have you ever prayed 11 years for anything? Of course, some of you are barely over 11. But have you ever prayed for anything for 11 years? God means for you to persevere. You know, I mean, there may become, you may be praying for something ultimately that God's Spirit makes it plain to you is not His will. And you leave that and you give that away. You just give it to God. And you thank Him for the no. Oftentimes God says no. But if, you, if you're sure you've heard from God 
And He means for you to be crying out to Him. You just keep crying out to Him. I love what John Blanchard says about persevering in prayer. He says, prayer is not wrestling with God's reluctance to bless us. It's laying hold of His willingness to do it. I love that. God purposed for those three orphan homes to be built in eternity past. But He also purposed that His servant George Mueller and those around Him would cry out to Him for 11 years. And on 11 years of prayer, God built those two orphan homes. Uh, orphan homes. They're huge. I don't know if you've ever been to Bristol. They're huge, what God did. Simply through prayer. Jesus says we are to pray at all times and not lose heart. Are you praying for ICM? I am asking you as your pastor, I'm exhorting you to be praying for ICM now and after you leave. And check in with me every once in a while, see if I'm still walking around. And if I'm still walking around, I want you to be praying for this church. And even if I'm gone, you know, and the Lord's raised someone else up, keep praying for this church. You know, by virtue of the fact that God's brought you here, you're obligated to pray for us until you die. You know that, right? You can't stop praying for ICM until the Lord takes you home. That's the deal. That's, that's the only psychological pressure I'll put on you. <laughs> okay? You pray for this church and that God will be seen mightily here and that there will be a great awakening. A great awakening in this place. So I want to say just a quick word and I'll, I'll be done here in a few minutes. Uh, I want to say a quick word about the low view of prayer that permeates much of the modern church. It's like a letter to Santa Claus. Am I wrong? I'm just supposed to write my letter to Santa Claus. I'm just supposed to rub my genie, my bottle, and my genie's going to pop out and give me all that I wish for. It's really sad. It's really sad what you see in much of the modern church. The prevailing idea is that God is Santa Claus. God's supposed to be working for me. I just speak my, my desires and God is going to take care of it. Exactly how I want, exactly when I want. Beloved, that couldn't be further from the biblical concept of true prayer. The biblical model of prayer is coming to God with our need. Yes. Committing it to Him. Committing our way to Him. Giving our heart, submitting our heart and mind to Him. And then letting Him deal with it as He sees fit. Who's our example in this? Oh, the second member of the Trinity. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, we talked about it at Young Adult Bible Study. Jesus said, Lord, let this cup, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. How many times did He pray it? Three times. And the Father says, no. But what did Jesus say? And here's true. Here's, here's, where the, here's the high spot of, of biblical prayer. What does Jesus ultimately say? Not your will, pardon me, not my will, but your will. I'll get it right in a minute. Not my will, but your will. Beloved, this is real prayer. Okay? It's not that name it and claim it word of faith junk that you hear so often these days. It's not that. In fact, I would say that's an insult and blasphemy before an almighty God. That somebody, some creature made of dust walking around with two and a half pounds of gray matter is going to dictate to God, Almighty, what needs to happen and when and how. 
Beloved, I, I, I have to tell you, I think that's a dangerous ground. That's dangerous ground for any of us to tread on. You know the Apostle Paul. The same thing happened to the Apostle Paul. Paul wanted that, that thorn in the flesh removed. God said what? No. God said no. Paul, because my grace is sufficient for you. Did Paul lose his faith? Did Paul stop praying? Did Paul get a pout on? What happened? You know the text. It's a great text. Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness that, my, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And then he says this, therefore, I'm well contented with my weakness. Beloved, are you well contented with the no? Or are you mad at God? If you're mad at God, you need to let go of it. That's just a waste of time. <laughs> And you need to thank Him for the no because He's just protected you. I, I learned this a long time ago. When the no comes, that's protection. From the thing I thought I wanted and needed, but the thing that God knows I don't need. So you thank Him for the no. Praise God for the no. Paul's got it right here. He says, I'm well contented with that no. I am well contented with Weakness. He was no name it and claim it word of faith heretic. He gave his request to God and he rested in the sovereign providences of God. This is what real Christians do. This is what biblical Christians do. It's the meaning of Paul's admonition in Ephesians 6 to pray in the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit. We cry out and we hear. We listen. We stay in the Word. We cry out. We listen. We stay in the Word. We hear God speak to us. We pray in the Spirit. John 14 says, God, Jesus says, if you ask anything in My name, I will do it. And what's the caveat? We talked about this the other night. What's, what's the caveat? 1 John 5, 14, 15. We must ask in His will. That's not carte blanche. You know, you hear this taught many times. Oh, it's just carte blanche. You can do whatever you want. Jesus says He'll do it. If you ask in His name. What is, why do we say in the name of Jesus at the end of a, of, a, of, a, of a prayer? Why do we do that? Is that just like a magical chant at the end? So, boom! I get all my stuff on my list, my Santa Claus list. Is that what that's about? It's like, Jesus, Your will be done. Your will be done in my life, in my prayer request. Your will be done. That's why we pray it. Lord, Your will be done. I submit to You, Lord Jesus. Your will be done. Not my will. Your will be done. I love that. So I want to encourage you to pray like Martin Luther. I think this came out unintended two weeks ago or last week. I don't really remember. I shared this with you. Martin Luther. The, the, okay, who was Martin Luther? Someone tell me because I preached on this about two weeks ago. Huh? He was the father of the Protestant. Or he's recognized historically as the father of the Protestant Reformation. But it was said of Martin Luther, he prayed with such brokenness and humility and repentance that you pitied him as he began to pray. 
But as he continued to pray, as he prayed on, he prayed with such boldness that you feared for him. Don't you love it? (laughs) I love it. Psalm 51 says, A broken and contrite heart, O God, Thou will not despise. Hebrews 4.16 Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. So my challenge to you, beloved, is to pray with a broken boldness. A broken boldness before the Lord. A broken boldness about the situations in your life and what God would, how God would honor and glorify Himself in your life, but also in this church. To pray with broken boldness. So I exhort you. What sin is it that's keeping you from going deeper with God tonight? What sin is hindering your prayers? I'm going to challenge you to repent tonight of that sin that you might enter into intimacy with Jesus as you you come and as you pray. Be broken over your sin tonight. Repent from it. If you've grown lukewarm or cold with, with God, I'm going to challenge you to repent tonight. No more lukewarm Christianity, which is, that's an oxymoron too, but no more of that. You know, no more brain dead, heart dead religion. I love him. He's really my Lord. He's really my Savior. I'm going to honor him in my life. I'm going to honor him in my life. I'm dead, I, you know, I'm dead serious about this. I'm dead serious about it. No more half measures, no more religious. Compromise. And there's some, maybe some of you who just simply need to come to Christ. There may be some of you who, maybe you've been in church, and I don't know. You've been in church, but you don't really know Him. You're a little bit religious. You know a few things. You know a couple of stories. You can tell a story or two, but you don't know Christ. You're not living for Christ. You don't, you don't have that supreme love for Christ that we see on the pages of the New Testament. Beloved, that's, that's biblical Christianity. So maybe some of you need to come. Maybe some of you need to come professing faith in Christ and to follow Him in baptism. I think we're going to be having a baptism service uh, after the first of the year. So, if you, don't know all, you know, if you want to talk about any of this stuff, come talk to me after the service. So I want to encourage you to pray courageous prayers for ICM and for Veritas, to entreat the Lord to fall on us in great power, that many would come to know Him and they would repent of their sin begin to live for the glory of Jesus. And that this church would be established. You know, I, I think I said it to you a couple of weeks ago. We've always said, not with any arrogance, but with all dependence upon the Lord, that this church would be here when Jesus comes back. You know, that's the vision. This church will be here. When Jesus comes back, so I, I, I ask you to pray about that. I ask you to pray about that. Obey your Lord, Christian. He commands you to ask. He commands you to seek. He commands you to knock. I'm exhorting you to obey Him this week and every day for the rest of your life in relation to your own life and walk with Him, but also for this church and the next church that you belong to. Our Father desires to bless us, multiply us, and establish us in this place, but He says we must ask Him for it. So beloved, ask Him, I pray. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely 
His. Just remember, nothing never happens when we pray. Nothing never happens when we pray. We're going to come to the table tonight and celebrate all that God